Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Stacey Patton for our second postseason posthumous post analysis all the posts so let's get to it first as always been online your number one source for all your basketball info stats news and scores get the latest odds and lines and the latest matchup reports for this year's NBA playoffs but online is your sports intel headquarters this season as we have you covered for all your insider sports wagering needs for basketball, Major League Baseball, NHL hockey, golf, all the way to UFC and boxing. The fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your home. Get into the action today. So head to the website or use your mobile device to join. Be sure to use our promo code Believe B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts um a quick aside before we talk about the knicks today just because it was such a surprising story and because i think the coverage of it has been predictable which is not a positive in this case uh the john moran story coming out of memphis deserves a little bit of attention first just to acknowledge the um the way it swept over seemingly every conversation that I saw the last couple of days. Um, this was an enormous, enormous, enormous seeming story. Um, obviously in light of what happened a few months ago, but also maybe too much of a story we can talk about. Um, but also, so I want to hear what you think about this, Stacey. I am bothered about this story, but I'm bothered about it more from a labor point of view. Um, I understand we've seen it before. Like there is precedent established that the NBA, like most most sports leagues and most private businesses, um, will punish employees for behavior that is not illegal, um, but they can still punish them for it if they decide that it is casting like a bad light on the image of the, the industry in question. And a lot of times, what gets cited for this is, oh, well, the NBA did this like 20 years ago with the dress code. It's always rankled me. I believe that's our first use of rankled in this podcast. <laughs> we'll it's rank always, people, but we won't rankle them. <laughs> it's always <laughs> it's always rankled to me how we've kind of I feel collectively as a basketball as an NBA fan public, <clears throat> I feel like most people look back and recognize like that was kind of bullshit by the NBA. Um but there's just been this sort of complicit like, boy, that was that was messed up. And we move on from it as if there's nothing to do about it. And some of the, I find some of the jaw reaction very overblown um, for a multitude of reasons. It is quizzical why a person who sounded a couple months ago, like he thought this was a problem worth addressing has fallen back into it. I just want to point out for, um, everyone listening at home that he is either 22 or 23 
when I was John Moran's age, a couple months out of college, I got arrested. Um, I got off on a charge, but my agreement was I got a six-month ACD. So if I didn't get in trouble again for six months, the charges would all be wiped out, no problem. And a month later, I got arrested again. You could look and be like, the fuck is wrong with this person? And that would not be an unfair question. But also, I was not representative of like some larger tear in the fabric of society. So I think John Morant, the, the shock over how could he do this again? He could do this again because he's 22 or 23. I think most people can look back at being 22 or 23 and recognize like you're glad you weren't in the public eye because you were making stupid decisions also. From a labor perspective, though, what concerns me, well, there's also, I think, something very quizzical about the NBA, and, and this happened with the dress code, too. The NBA came from a, a, a specific white capitalist corporate premise with that whole dress code story, because the premise was, we don't want you looking bad, and bad is dressing in hip-hop clothes, bad is black we want you looking good. We want you in suits. We want you in nice nice khakis. We want you looking white. There is a preponderance right now in this country of powerful public figures, private citizens, all kinds of people in all kinds of states, many of which the NBA does business in, who publicize photos of themselves with a literal militia's worth of firearms. And... So when the NBA is saying, ah, we don't want Ja behaving this way. This isn't a good look. This looks bad. Well, you have to account then for, again, wait a minute, like what's bad and what isn't? Because you're still doing business, and this is a league that loves to posit itself as socially progressive. We don't need to be told what to do. We don't follow the trends. We set the trends. Okay. But we all know that's kind of bullshit. And in this case, it's definitely bullshit because – you have now a player who has twice brandished a gun in a country where more and more states are passing more and more lenient like laws that make what he's doing completely legal. And as far as I know, when he did it in Colorado the first time in Denver, by by state laws, not NBA rules, I think Colorado's open carry. I believe Tennessee also is like he hasn't broken a law. Um, that's another point you can you can get into. But just from a labor perspective, the fact that the players' union didn't take a stand against the NBA after the malice at the palace and the dress code thing, because I think that they probably felt that David Stern had leverage. Maybe he did. But the fact that they didn't take a stand on it then, and now again, you have an instance where, and it's more dangerous because I think most fans don't seem bothered by it. Most fans, I think, feel like either because you want Ja to suffer or you want Ja to heal, the vibe is, well, we just we want this young man to be okay, so we need to put a stop to this. On the, if you listen to the broadcast, Mike Breen and Jeff Van Gundy sound like very pearl-clutchy pearl distraught about this. We have to save Ja's soul. Um, the union is in a position, once again, to counter a precedent that the league assumes, which is that the league has the right, <coughs> basically, to whiten behavior whenever they're worried that it might work against what they think is going to sell the most units of whatever and i'm i'm concerned 
because I see this, I have an inordinate interest in the labor aspect of basketball even more than I think the game. And the players union at times, the NBA players union and Major League Baseball players unions have been the two unions in American sports that have far and away had the most power. And to see the baseball union descend into pissing away its power, not to protect international um prospects from from non-american countries but instead to like protect their members right to cheat cheat drugs and in the nba's case like this is right on a tee for you to say nope like we do not concede that you have the right to define and they're not going to do anything about it i haven't heard any official everything just seems to be like oh john john fucked up john fucked up I feel like the union right now is letting down John Morant. And the next time something like this happens, when it's not universally popular, <clears throat> like after the malice, okay, a lot of your fans maybe felt a certain way. A lot didn't, but maybe enough did that you made the decision. And this time, almost nobody is going to argue, leave Ja alone. He's fine. It's a very popular decision to come down on him. The next time you have an incident where something happens, a player has not committed a crime, and the league is assuming the right to take action against him because of a certain cultural value that they value more than others. The the league is gonna the, the players are gonna have nothing to stand on, and that concerns me probably more than anything. Even with John Morant, I know, you know, there maybe it does go wrong. Maybe he's a young man who's green, of course. But I I, I think. Last thing I'll say, I'm talking a lot about this. When you hear shit like, you know, he lost forty million dollars on his on if if he hadn't he lost an all NBA spot and that cost him forty million dollars on his on what his on what his contract could have been, doesn't he get it? When you go from really no money, like he wasn't he, he grew up in a two parent household, but it wasn't in a wealthy neighborhood. It wasn't even in a middle class neighborhood. When you go from like even middle class working class or less to your contract is 200 million your sneaker deal is 100 million your other endorsements are 50 million 40 million dollars doesn't mean anything it's just more money he can't spend that's not that's not a factor in this like at all i don't know that's that's what i'd say about it i'm curious um i'm I'm not sure if i'd go that far um to say 40 million dollars is nothing but again i'm speaking from someone who's never had a million dollars. I would love to hear you give an informed answer about <laughs> right. this one day. Very no, much I, so. I, I, I think we, I would definitely love to. I will definitely, if I can ever give an informed answer for that, I'll definitely shout you out. Um, no, I think you hit that nail on the head. Before I share my thoughts, I do want to ask, how much do you think the dress code thing is interesting you brought that up? I hadn't actually made that connection, but you're absolutely right, too. How much do you think that was about one player? Because I think if you think about the player I'm thinking of, I think it there was a player who kind of symbolized that, whether it was about him or not. I think Allen Iverson was the lightning rod for it. Um, but I so I think it was. I think that he triggered a lot of the push for it. But I think it was. I think the league wanted to nip all of that, like then and there in the bud. Iverson was the you know the the king on that chessboard but they wanted to wipe they wanted everybody gone they didn't want anybody looking like that at and, all. I, and i think with the dress code um you know people have 
Nas has talked about this in in a song. He had a song, Hip Hop is Dead, where, you know, Nas is very outspoken on social issues. And he talked about how, you know, some of it was, you know, just kind of maybe the community, the hip hop community in particular, not being particularly um, responsible with, you know, the power it had, not even from the sense I think that you're talking about, but, um, you know, I, I guess getting back to it though, do you, th- I mean, cause I think with Alan Iverson, that was someone who, who hadn't really gotten into, you know, he had an issue in high school where I think pretty much everyone will say it wasn't his fault. Um, but because of, you know, where he was at the time, you know, in a very, um, racially divided state with a lot of, you know, the judicial system being what it was and still is today, he got in trouble. He had to get the, the weird thing about his conditional clemency was they made him stop playing football and basketball for a senior year, which is like, what does that have to do with, uh, that'll teach him. yeah. Um, well, not just that'll teach him, but like, what are you trying to do here, right? Are you trying to screw up his life or are you trying to actually serve justice if there is justice that needs to be served? So you can't put him in jail. So you're just trying to. Anyway, the, the point is, um, the point is beyond that, right? There's been reports. I think Stephen A reported like there was one time when, you know, one of Alan Iverson's childhood friends was in trouble for another time and, and, or, or someone from his past and Alan Iverson drove with him and then, you know, to like, and gave him a bunch of money. Like I think it was in, in the six figures and said, look, I'm giving you this, but after this, just stay away. Um, but those were the kinds of challenges Alan Iverson had to grow to deal with for where he was. I guess my question is, do you think, and, but we saw that, you know, throughout his career, he managed, he, he stayed out of trouble. He had a very long and successful career. Looked at now as an icon, you know, probably the kind of player you'd want to one day see John Morant being. He has the potential to be that good and to be that kind of a, a legacy bearer for the NBA. Do you think the actions that the NBA took helped bring that about at all for Iverson in particular? No, I don't. Um, and acknowledging when I say that, that it's a very ignorant answer because how much do I know about what the league did, what the 76ers did, what Pat Croce might have done behind the scenes. Iverson has talked about, in retrospect, understanding more now things that Larry Brown was trying to push him toward than he did at the time. So I'm not, I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't say that Allen Iverson didn't get any help or benefit from any kind of external care or, or love for him or just greed, whatever the motivation was. But um i think if you're looking for evidence to substantiate one way or the other like do we trust the nba to have john moran's best interest in minds we already have evidence that they don't if you look at the fact if you look at if you look at adam silver and the nba like the way they treated his suspension the way he was allowed to come right back out fairly quickly for that interview with Jalen Rose, which if if the NBA did not want one of their lead faces doing that interview, they would have made it clear to their network partner not to air it, and it wouldn't have happened. Like ESPN is not doing that in violation of what the NBA wants. That was a PR stunt. They wanted to get job back out there. They wanted the story to cool down. Everyone who saw that, who, who you know, anyone who's had any experience with any kind of therapy, counseling, like self whatever self improvement the idea that like John Morant's going to miss six or eight games 
now he's got his shit together. So put him back out there because now he's got it all figured out was always indicative of what you expect from the NBA, which is what they care about is go out there and keep the bottom line going. And we'll, we'll push you along from the back to make it happen. And if we think that you're going to hurt it, then we're going to take action and you're not going to like it. But no, I don't, I don't, there's nothing that we've seen from the NBA. And even now Memphis's suspension of him, it's the off, it's the off season. It doesn't mean anything. Like it means well, absolutely I, I, nothing. Most we assume that there will be a, a pretty significant suspension to start the season. Yeah, I I don't think the NBA has done anything to earn the benefit of the doubt that they that they yeah. have John Moran's personal best interest in mental health. In and I, and I think the um, the hope from capitalism is the money aligns with kind of that. Um, but you see some of the shortcomings, right? Um, to your point of that approach that. Yeah, like um, I, I definitely agree. I, I don't think the NBA has earned the benefit of the doubt in many cases um, with with doing those things. Um, so you know, uh, it's um, it's tough to say. So when you talk about Ja, um, I mean, I don't think this is something that's happened in isolation, right? There's been a new number of incidents. There was the laser pointer thing. There was the um, uh, you know, he got into, got into, he got a into teenager it, at the house. Teenager, yeah, he got into it with a teenager. Threatened someone at a mall. Him. His family accosted somebody at a mall, or vice yeah. versa. Um, which again, that seems to be his mom was. But in all of these instances, he hasn't committed a crime. To your point, um, is that behavior that's troubling or problematic? Yes. Um, but let, but he, you just I I just because what you just said hits it so much on the head for me. The Jordan Neely story out of out of New York City very recently, in a lot of ways, the problem with the conversation around it is that a lot of the people who talk about it, if you've lived in New York City and you've ridden the subway as part of a routine, there is a different social cultural understanding of behavior that is what behavior means than anywhere else like in the world, yeah. and. Part of the Jordan Neely problem is people are trying to recontextualize it for the dead, you know, sprawling suburb where they live, and it doesn't apply. A lot of Jaws incidents, no, like some attention has come out of it, um, drama has come out of it, but no crime has come out of it. Maybe these things are happening in a context or a culture or an environment where your normal rules don't apply. Maybe yeah, Jonathan I mean, live his life in places where the NBA's normal cultural rules apply. But I mean, I think the backlash is around he doesn't necessarily have to. Like, it's one thing on the subway. It's another thing. I do get the point that you know it's it's a different environment. But if it's a pickup game, right? We've been in pickup basketball games. We've seen, you know, in my opinion, the greatest movie of all time, or sorry, greatest sports movie of all time. There's a scene where somebody goes to the glove compartment, um, you know, applied for a gun. Um, you can't be threatening teenagers because they like mushed him in the face with a basketball. Yeah. You can't be doing that. Like, yeah. It, it, so and it's it's a number of instances with Josh. So why is there like why are the people? I think you brought up an interesting point. The people seem to be just like throw the book at them. Part of that is because let's be frank, the Memphis Grizzlies are fucking annoying. Yeah. Um, it's combined with when they were coming up the media coverage of them as like the small market Cinderella story 
combined with the fact that Dylan Brooks is is not a he is you know we've seen this player before Bill Lambeer you know a lot of players on that team uh Rick Mahorn all those guys and those right? guys could actually play um yeah well so <laughs> yeah good point um but they're, they're they're annoying right and Ja has amplified that with some of the things as he said right um so I get the like why people just don't like him right now. And he, mm-hmm. he, he, even though they should, I mean, he's arguably one of the most athletic players. He's exciting to watch. I don't think there's anyone, even as quote unquote haters who would say, well, I, I don't like watching the guy play. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am. So I, I do think that it's the, it's a miss by the NBA and like a lot of the conversation at large to not talk about this in the context of larger gun culture. Like, mm-hmm. why do we talk about black gun culture differently from white gun culture? Mm-hmm. Um, you can say because well, I, I have I have a friend in like a group chat I'm in, and he was saying, well, you know, like when you talk about Lauren Boebert or someone brandishing an AK or whatever these things, that's like that's not street culture, right? And I'm like, well, hold on, like it's not impacting violence. And I'm like, look at all the school shootings that are happening. Look at all the the public violence committed by white supremacist terrorists. Look at all of it that seems to be founded on the fear of, you know, the, the white replacement theory or all of these things that is very much, whether you like it or not, um, you know, commingled with with the, the whole like my guns, my guns, Second Amendment thing. Like it's very much linked the same. And in fact, when you look on, you know, in black culture, that that's also like in the 60s, Black Panthers and, and other groups talked about black citizens arming themselves to protect themselves right against um, a population that was well armed but wasn't yeah. received but didn't as you're saying like that it's not read the same it's definitely not read the same and ironically the only people i've actually seen make these connections are people like i, I think i've seen candace owens make this connection right that i'm mm-hmm. i am quote-unquote pro-black and the, yeah, i'm pro 2a because of this like um, which I, my takeaway from that isn't, of course, being pro two eights. It's more like, well, it, but it, the point is, it exists on both sides, and it's all linked, right? This this culture of fear, this culture that I need a weapon to protect myself, the culture of, you know, like, and and then glorifying that, right? Like, um, that's all linked. So I don't know why we're drawing a distinction. And yeah, JJ Reddick, I don't know if you saw his comments today, or um, I did not. JJ Reddick had a pretty impassioned response on Jay. He said. You know, some of the same things we're saying, right? God didn't commit a crime, and you—it's not when you talk about people glorifying that culture, right? That on the on the other side, it's not just random. You know, it's not like Aubrey Huff or like some baseball player. It's Greg Abbott. It's the governor of Texas. It is congressmen. It's senators. It's DeSantis, and they get a pass. And now, like you can, and the, the response to that has been, well, the NBA is its own league. It's a private corporation that has nothing to to do with this but it's like but these are but but that matters right like he's in this context and yeah it's all i i would i struggle when people would try to draw a distinction between those two types of things i do think ja is troubled a little bit i don't think this is the behavior you'd expect from someone who has so many good things going for him um i think in the context of everything that's happened i think the ultimate most important thing is for ja to to be in a good place uh, maybe that means he carries a gun. Um, I do think there's a distinction between brandishing it in a public place or, again, in his own car. You know, it's kind of allowed. But 
Um, but I, I think that there is a situation here that needs dealing with. But to your point, I also don't have like if the NBA was drawing those linkages and maybe speaking out on, on guns as a whole, right? Like I don't think anyone in the NBA spoke out on gun violence, right? At first, like the the what was given as an answer was he has mental health issues, which I don't think anyone really bought, which like, no, I think he's 22 and like living a kind of fantasy or whatever, right? Um, or, or who knows what it is. But the mental health excuse seemed like, no, it seems to be, you know, like we, we haven't really gone in depth if there was anything like that. But there's never, like, if the NBA really cares, like, why aren't they speaking out on, on gun violence as a whole? Um, and and that's what, to your point, do I think there should be maybe some kind of retribution and, and some kind of way to, like, try to get him real help, not like whatever he did for one week? Sure. Um, but do I have any confidence that this is going to result in that? No, I think this is going to be the NBA saving its bottom line again. And um, I think it's like a... Either way, Jaws is going to get um, probably unfairly. I'm not saying that any punishment is unfair, but um, but yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like it's um, it doesn't necessarily. I'm not in the camp like you that the NBA necessarily is trying to do right by him, um, or or by the majority of his fans because I think there is a stance that you can take, and it involves kind of acknowledging that gun culture is a problem at large. And like we've talked about with other things, you know, when people have said said the wrong thing or those kind of things, you have to talk about it in the larger context and 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 take a stand as it is. And and I, I think the NBA is more just looking at it as an and an isolated player having issues. Mm-hmm. I will spare our listeners the very long Marxist rant that I could go on right now. But if anyone would ever like to hear me go on a long Marxist rant. I do also host the Jacobin Sports Show. Tune into that one. There's a lot of that shit there. Um, let me ask you a Ja Nick segue question, which I hit me the other day. Um, until I would say a month ago, if you were to ask 100 Nick fans, it's 2019 draft again. You can have Zion Williamson. You can have Ja Morant. You can have Darius Garland. Or you can have Rowan barrett jr everyone's picking the other three at this point i think more fans would pick rj than zion just because of availability i think more fans would pick rj over garland because a you you like you're happy with brunson anyway over garland and (coughs) i'm not sure garland fair or not won that many fans in his first postseason appearance (laughs) Other than maybe Ja, and now Ja's become a bit, for some people, I think, of a question mark. I just find it utterly fascinating how these things go back and forth and how you would never have thought a month ago that R.J. Barrett arguably would be the Nick fans' pick of choice from the top four in the 2019 draft. I love how much this shit moves around. I love it. Yeah, and, and I think that... Um... Let's let's also reiterate. I think that Ja, I think Ja is going to be okay. Personally, not let's. Like my opinion is, um, whatever happens, I think um, you know his father is very involved. Is I think that there might be other people in a circle that are the great greatest influence, but um, I still think Ja is going to end up being an electrifying player. I'm rooting for Zion. Ever since I saw him in college, I thought he was just like the NBA is better when those kind of guys just yeah. live up. It's the same reason why. God, even though the Spurs 
every time they tank, they just get a generational center. Um, doesn't seem very fair. Um, I will be rooting for Victor Ramanyama because I, I like seeing just different kinds of players thrive. Um, having said that, yeah, it's, it's interesting how things turn, and, and not all of it is just availability, right? I mean, Archie Barrett outplayed Darius Garland, and I don't think there's any two ways about it. Like, you can say, well, you know, Darius Garland had more responsibility. Well, he was playing with Donovan Mitchell. Um, he was playing on a team that before the series were, we were told had much more top end talent than the Knicks and RJ Barrett was a side thought. And when Garland tried to guard RJ Barrett, you saw what happened when RJ Barrett guarded Darius Garland, he did a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I do think Jalen Brunson probably in the minds of people before the series had a huge gap to Donovan Mitchell. I don't think that gap is as substantial anymore after he outplayed Donovan Mitchell. Um, but I think to your larger point, yeah, things change like that. Um, and it's important to recognize with all of these players, you know, there's a lot of people that are down on quickly now, you know, after a good regular season, he struggled on offense. Um, you know, that's probably going to turn around at some point too. Maybe he's not the star that some people, and I, I, I do think like the people, the people who are out on IQ now are the same people who are at one point like, well, maybe we don't need Jalen Brunson. Right, just like the same people who are probably out on RJ Barrett now, are the same people who are like, "Well, Cam Reddish should probably replace RJ Barrett. He's got a better scoring bag, right?" right, right. Uh, and and now they're like, "Oh, well, it's you know this." Now they're like, "Oh, RJ is um is is God or whatever, right?" So, um, you know, you know, RJ is really good. So you know, you can't, you have to, especially with young players, you can't live in the moment as much. And I think that's a, that's as good a takeaway in it as any. So I want to, I want to, I want this to be a safe space for all Nick on this pod, and that means understanding that, just like with I, let me, can I add one thing? Yeah, of course, of course. Sorry, in in that top group, um, Nick Claxton might have a real argument. Jordan Poole would have had. A, think about Jordan Poole; he was in that draft too. He might have an argument for top five. Um, you know, last year, and now everyone hates Jordan Poole. Yeah. Uh, and then probably next year, if you figure some stuff out, which you probably yeah. will because he's a 24, 23-year-old player, they'll love him again, right? He'll get um, traded somewhere and put up like 27 a game. Yeah, uh, or or he might do it next year. I mean, he's been good in Golden State. You know, there's things he needs to work on. I I mean, I don't think it should go without saying that he got punched in the face by a teammate who is revered among that French. He is, I mean... That teammate is going to be on the, you know, he's going to have his jersey up in in the uh, the Golden State. I don't know what what they're calling their stadium anymore, but he will have their, his jersey up, and he punched yeah. him in the face. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I have a suspicion if Draymond is not back there next year, which he might not be, but he won't. But but it still will have a better season. That they will. That he will. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't even know if there's a rift. It's just it. Like it's a thing, right? Oh, yeah. No, no, yeah. In the face. Um. And uh. But to. Anyway, I'd say like Nick Claxton probably deserves to be as much as it torments me to praise the Nets. Very good, he's very good. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, I like but anyway, I, I interrupted, so definitely. No, I'm just saying, like, I think just like with horoscopes, that the year that you were born, not literally born, but the year that you were born into fandom of a team shapes your personality to some extent. Like, I'm an unusually optimistic Mets fan because I started following them like on a daily basis in 1986 yeah so to me the Mets in the Mets never feel like they can't win because I've seen them from the start that was that's their identity they win ridiculous games today 
I watched Manchester City, who I've watched now for 15 years, and they've been on this project for 15 years of trying to get to where they are basically now, where today, if you don't like soccer, this will be very quick. They're in the Champions League semifinals. Um, they're playing Real Madrid, who is the only team in the world that I, I think is a City fan you fear. A team that they're last the year... team ever, right? Don't they have yes. the most... Everyone could... Real is, yeah, Real is, are the gods of, of soccer, and particularly in this competition. They are, like, way ahead of everybody. And last year, City were two goals up on them with, like, 10, <coughs> ten minutes left. And Madrid ended up winning. So they go into this game. It's the biggest game City have played, you know, in 15 years. And they completely dominate Madrid. Like, utterly destroy them. It's 4 nothing. Um, could have been worse. They're going to the finals. They're heavy favorites. And I'm sitting there, and, like, I'm so moved as a fan because – my identity with this team has been I started liking them like very shortly before they got this new ownership and they went on this project. So like it means a certain something to me. The Knicks I realized when I was thinking about this pattern are unique in my life because like I, I like the Rangers too. I liked the Rangers a few years before they won the Stanley Cup when like everything was about 1940 and breaking the curse. So like all my other teams at some point have had ultimate success. And that's contributed to like how I view them. The Knicks are this completely different thing where the first 10 or 11 years that I follow them, they're amazing. Like the year the Knicks had this year, which was a good year, 47 wins, very good year. The first 10 years of, of the, from Riley through Van Gundy, that 10 year period, they were better than this eight of the 10 times. The only two times they weren't were the year they got to the finals and the year that they got revenge against Miami uh, after P.J. Brown. So, like, 10 years of awesomeness. And then this fucking desert of a 21st century. And, like, I had to adapt to survive as a Nick fan. So I stopped focusing on titles a long time ago. Because, to be honest, since 1994, the Knicks have not been close to winning a title. Like, ever. So it's been 30 years. Wow, I had, you believe in 99? Not once <laughs> Ewing went down. Yeah. Um, you know, sadly, but when they beat the Pacers, that was their title. So 30 years, they have not been close. You've got to find other things to keep you going. So I think that probably influences it all is all it's all coming to this. A lot of the talk around Thibodeau and Randall that I read and that I hear is centered on um, a baseline assumption that if you are a Nick fan, your dominant interest is you want to see this team win a title. Ariel Pacheco had a tremendous Substack piece this week about why Julius Randle he thinks should be traded, and it's an in-depth, comprehensive, very convincing. Um, he touches on on all these different aspects that show all these different ways where this this doesn't like quite work out. Uh, Tom Thibodeau, there are legit questions about this is kind of that place where Tibbs teams tend to peak, um, and how much time do you want to spend? especially knowing his propensity for playing guys into the ground, <coughs> if you know this tendency of him, and he's already ostensibly done his job. You don't hire Tom Thibodeau to win a championship. You hire Tom Thibodeau to get your, get your shit together, and he has. Um, if you want to win a championship, Tom Thibodeau is probably not the person. And if you want to win a championship, Julius Randle is not like a guy to be keeping around. I am more interested right now in the Knicks trying to hold together like three, four more years of this before I worry about a championship. 
I realize this about myself. I'm not saying it's a better way of being. I'm not saying anybody else should think this way too. But for me, the likelihood of the Knicks island hopping from where they are now to title contention seems so fraught with, I don't see it happening. I don't know if I totally trust. We're still trusting a lot of people to do things they've never done before. Like Leon Rose still, what he was brought in to do, he hasn't done. The things Leon Rose has succeeded at, what drafting do you think he's brought to do? To get a star. That's his whole resume. A star? Not the kind where I – like, I think Leon I Rose – I think we had a player who went for 31, 38, and 41 in the three biggest games this season. And I think Rose's connections were, like, essential to them landing Brunson. But what I mean is when you're going to go fight – you know the big you're gonna fight pat riley you're gonna fight the lakers you're gonna fight like for the top for like the whole league didn't want Jalen brunson when you get to a point where you're trying to get an Embiid level player you're trying to get you know maybe beyond a donovan mitchell player leon rose is supposed to be qualified he, he, he has no track record in any other capacity other than he has relationships with those kinds of players that caliber of player so this isn't an indictment of leon rose he hasn't been here that long and he has succeeded at all these other things, which are as important, if not more important, in terms of being able to draft very effectively late in the first round, late in the second round, in terms of showing a capacity for identifying, well, he wasn't Randall. Um, the Knicks have been better, at least with Scott Perry here, in a couple of cases of showing that they can bring in good free agents on good contracts who vastly outperform that. Uh, Randall did it, and also now you've seen it in Brunson, Hartenstein by the end of this year is, is playing above what he's being paid. They're, they're, they're pretty good at that. But the, but like we don't know that Leon Rose can get the big fish. We don't know that yet. We don't know that Tom Thibodeau can get the team past this point because he really never has, other than when he had Derrick Rose at like 20. We don't know that limitations of, of the roster, but I would just so like to see them for like three years just stabilize at where you are stabilize it like a 48 to 51 win team build you know you don't build a culture with a year of success um and i'm realizing this is influencing a lot of how i view the offseason that's the point of all this i'm realizing like there are so many reasons to trade randall my concern is do you want to put that pressure like that puts a lot of depending on what you get for him that puts a lot on jalen brunson I don't want to have Jalen Brunson show me how good he is and then immediately make a trade that possibly makes his life harder. I don't know. Um, is your when, when you when you're thinking of moves and you're thinking of where this is headed, is it the hope for a championship that is mostly driving like how you view these things? That's a really good question. Um, you know, do you avoid going back to the dark ages? I don't think I frame it necessarily as binary. Um, I think that it, because, and I think it's important to look at that because I think most people do like, I think a lot of fans from other fan bases are still in the mode of, well, the Knicks are a four or five seed. That's, they're not good enough to win the title, but you just have so many people lamenting yeah. the fact that they don't have a draft pick. Right. First of all, I think that was a, that gamble was so good. It, it, the, the gamble they made, not just trading for Josh Hart but trading with the idea that we're going to get Josh Hart and we're going to be so good at the time, the Mavericks were at least, I think they were, they were better than the Knicks or they had a better record than the Knicks. Close, Yeah. Very close. Um, 
And the, and the Mavs immediately traded for Kyrie Irving around the same time, right? It was right by the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. The Knicks made the gamble that not only will Josh Hart help us be better, we will have a better record than the Dallas Mavericks at the end of the season because they traded that pick. And they, and they were damn right. Up, they were too right about that, right? Uh, and if you want to argue that, well, they should have foreseen the fact that Dallas would tank at the end of the season with a generational prospect, two generational prospects. I mean, Kyrie, we haven't seen too many players like Kyrie Irving, uh, you know, leaving aside all of the other stuff and leaving aside some of his limitations on the court. The guy is a fantastic player. Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving, there's no reason you'd think that they're going to end up tanking at the end of the season. Um, so if you want to call them out, you want to call somebody out for, for losing on a bad beat on the river at 5% odds, go for it. I'm not calling him out for that. Um, but I think that too many, I think that what I've bought into slowly is that the idea that this Nick can, this Knicks team can get incrementally better. Um, I think it's not too unlike that Toronto Raptors team, you know, during the LeBron era that eventually won a championship, you know, exactly. by getting Kawhi um, mm-hmm. that got, you know, and, and it was, they got to a level and it seemed like they had plateaued and everyone was saying the same things, you know, this money ball stuff, drafting well, this Messiah Jiri, cap wizardry and all that stuff. That's nice, but you can't win a title with that. They ended up doing it. There's only one title, and it relied on, you know, a certain sort of circumstances, including, by the way, Golden State not being at full health. But that's kind of the point, that unless you're building the Spurs or the Lakers, that is how it happens. Um, I, I'm bought into that idea. And that's why... I, I don't think they will, and I think they are. And that's why, to your point, I don't think they'd trade Julius Randle because there's very few trades that involve trading Julius Randle that really make the team better, unless you change the play style, um, and, um, which would probably entail either relieving Tibbs of his duties or uh, you know changing things a lot to probably a style you may not be comfortable with. Having said all that, there are very if – if you want Julius to stay – I don't think let's be happy with staying at 48 to 51 wins removes the responsibility that there are, there are things that he, he needs to do. Look, if, mm-hmm. if the idea is that you give him the ball and he's in the middle of the floor and it's like, he cannot just make quick decisions. He can't be Nikola Jokic. I'm, I'm fine with that. Very few players are, uh, you know, if the idea is that you need to simplify his offensive process so he's either a catch-and-shoot guy and get downhill or get downhill, these are the changes I would make to his role. And I don't know if that involves RJ getting better or, you know, quickly reaching, like, the level. You need someone else to be the second offensive option. Um, but there's things that he needs to do that are independent of all of that. And that's where even for staying at this level, or at least getting incrementally better, which is my goal, right? So you asked me, like, am I viewing this as can we win a championship? Can we not? I'm viewing out how we can get in- incrementally better. Put your hands up on defense. I, I need to see that more. Um, you know, I need to see better attentiveness on defense. I need to see, um, you know, not some of the spiraling things. Um, because the thing is, like, he can still be really effective. You know, I was talking about the, the Lakers drafted him. One of my really good friends is a Lakers fan. And he was saying, since he's been drafted, I've always felt like he's a great third option slash sixth man. That doesn't mean he can't start. But that kind of a guy, you, he's a wrecking ball. and He is a physical outlier even, maybe, in the NBA. 6'9", 250 with the feet of a ballerina. Um, he's got really good touch, even around both around the rim and from three. 
Um, you know, I don't think the percentages show just how much of a threat he is from three-point range. Defenses show that, though, because they don't leave him open if they can. Right. Um, and I think he, he has the ability to be more on defense. And if you're not getting all of that, it's not just about winning a championship. And and But you also have to say that, like, we might be happy with three or four years of sustained success. But you're building a roster of guys that maybe aren't. Um or you're building a roster with, with a guy in Jalen Brunson who I, I legitimately – I think that where we differ a little bit is I have all the faith in the world in him. You said that I don't want to put more on his plate. I don't know. You could put, he, the Knicks scored 92 points. He scored 41. And I don't think it was selfish play from Jalen Brunson. I think that he tried to make the right pass, and he just didn't get a lot of help. I do think the Knicks can do a better job of getting probably Randall and RJ, but especially RJ Barrett more involved, um, especially some of the mismatches RJ Barrett had. But – um, so I, I know that's not a great answer to your question. I get where you're coming from and I'm not in a rush to trade Julius Randall. I would try to get him to do some of these things, um, because I still think he can be a positive player and he's not in on some egregious contract. Um, and if he's, if he's a third option, if he's a third option, I think you can win a championship if you have another guy that can take some more of that load. But the defense is non-negotiable. If he's going to be the third option, the parallel I'll draw is Andrew Wiggins on the Warriors. The you know what really made him pop there was they they told him you're going to take a three, you're going to attack the closeout, and if you have a good matchup in the post or if you're on the side in the post, not in the middle of the floor, attack that. And he's thrived in that role, but he's also added a ton of value on defense. And um, and I, I don't think if Julius isn't going to do that, it's just really tough to see him. Because I think that I think it's completely fair to understand where we've been and to appreciate where we are now, where the Knicks are now. But that doesn't mean you stop trying to get better. And Julius can absolutely part of that um, in terms of improving. And, and I think he will. And I think, and to your point, I'll add to what you said, not only statistical production, I think that a lot has been talked about the Knicks culture change. He's been an integral part of that. Um, since he got here, you know, you've seen the, like his turnaround in second year, this off season, the work he's willing to put on and off the court, it trickles down. You know, they have guys who buy into that quickly, RJ Grimes, like they're all hard workers, but seeing that from the top helps. Hartenstein has talked, I've talked about this a bunch of times. Hartenstein has talked about how Randall helped him out when he was, you know, in, in a tough spot early in the season. So like, I, you don't want to shortchange his production, but I do think, you know, paradoxical as it is, as a team, yes, part of it is appreciating where you are and not going backward. But part of it is also like that drive to get incrementally better. And, and um, you know, if they have a move that helps them do that with Randall, I expect them to make it at some point. Um, and, yeah, I do think at some point, unless something changes, uh, and maybe it is just something that allows them to keep him but reduce his role and get him more engaged on defense – maybe it involves trading him, that will be the eventual goal because I think their eventual goal is to keep getting better. And eventually, if you keep getting better, that reaches the this, this championship level. It is going to be, he's either going to have to transform into that kind of player, and that doesn't mean a star, but that means a guy who can be a very reliable third option and add value on defense. He's either going to have to do that, or I think they will move on. And um, and I won't be jumping for joy when it happens. I'm not in that boat. And I don't think that, that needs to happen this season. To your point, I wouldn't mind them, you know, continuing to grow at this point. But they do need to continue to grow. I'm going to close with the question that we can probably even pick up on next time because I think there's a lot to it. 
but I keep running up against it and I keep wanting to, to find out what you think about this. Right now, it seems like the sky is the limit with Jalen Brunson. Like everything that we have seen from this player this season is beyond. I said it, I think in the last episode, like since Patrick Ewing, since before Patrick Ewing broke his wrist, I haven't seen a Nick that had the, the, the effect over so many different parts of the game as Brunson did this year for this team. Like it was that pronounced in my lifetime following the NBA. I've seen two teams that built a title contender around somebody who was six foot one or shorter. And one was Detroit with Isaiah Thomas. And one was Philadelphia building a fringe contender with Allen Iverson. Do we need to stop just from principle, just from like what we've seen over decades and decades of history and say, as much as we are in love with this person, we probably shouldn't think about building around like we probably should look at him as a number two because it just doesn't happen usually with guys that little or did you see enough to be like look man sky's the limit yeah it's a it's a great question and it's something i thought about quite a bit there's something that makes him i think a little bit different than a lot of the uh, other smaller guards that have been at that level um and i think that is that he doesn't he doesn't get paid that much uh he's on a descending contract so I think that when you have a guard who's that good and you pay that much money to him, usually they're not very good on defense. Um, and the other thing is um, you've invested so much on them that it's tough to surround them with guys who are both good on defense and good on offense. Um, you said 6'1 or shorter. If we expand that to 6'3 or any small point guard, there's another player who comes up. Nice and people stuff. often forget the fact that well, Steph signed a four. I think it was four for eleven a year or something, which yeah, is a was. small contract. Yep. But they they got a little lucky because he hurt his ankle, which yep. at the time looked like a death knell for them. Like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, you and but it it ended up working out, right? They were able to sign Iguodala. They were able to you know keep all their guys, um, and so that the Knicks are in a little bit of that situation where he's not making that much money where you can't surround him with great talent. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think where I would, I do, I think they need someone on his level. What, what I was thinking about today is when's the last time you had a championship team where a guy had a lot of, had the ball in his hands a lot and didn't make great decisions with the ball. Like that, that's, a, and Steph does stupid stuff. LeBron, if you watched the game last yesterday through, did some stuff that was just very head scratching. That is a 39 year old player who's one of the best decision makers in NBA history, he does stupid stuff. So I don't mean that like you're never going to see them on Shaq in a pool. What I mean is in the aggregate, this is someone who's going to consistently make decisions with the ball in their hands. When's the last time one of the, the top two or three guys who had the ball in their hands a lot weren't doing that? But like one, there was a guy on the team that wasn't capable of that. I'm sorry, I've lost what the question was now. Sorry. When you know a championship team where if you look at two or three guys who had the ball in their hands the most, one of them wasn't a great decision maker or like a good decision maker. A championship winner or a championship contender? I'm gonna say winner or finals at least. Okay. Um
going back quite a ways now. It's I mean it's oh nine magic maybe. If you think of Dwight as being you know that's not, a good one. But 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 again that's they might be the only team in that bunch that have a, a center who was like that central to what they did on offense. Who wasn't a great post player. That's that's a fair point. But your point um, is made. I mean, I'm 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 stretching way back to even think of someone who might fit the bill. Yeah, I mean, you could, I mean, you can say you know Anthony Davis in twenty in the bubble year maybe, but they he was just on fire for mid range, right? So there's exceptions, but like mm-hmm. generally, everyone needs to make good decisions with the ball. That means they either need to be in the right um, the right role, right, where your your decisions are very simplified. Or they need to be in a situation where they can handle the complexity that having the ball a lot in the playoffs give entails. I think Jalen Brunson's there. I think he wasn't perfect this playoffs, but he was. He's there. Um, that is the thing where I, I just don't see Randall getting there. But that's okay. You can reduce his role. That entails to make it worth it. He has to be better on defense. But that's what what I think, and that's the thing. The Heat, the Heat. Everyone who had the ball in their hands, whether it was Jimmy, where it was Bam, they were making consistently good decisions. Uh, and some of right. that is coaching. Some of that's being put in the right spot. But that's we need another guy who can handle the ball a lot and make decisions in compl- And like I don't mean to trip. That's an extremely hard thing. Like when when I talk about Randall making quick decisions, I think he's a very intelligent and thoughtful guy. I I think this is a really tough thing for a lot of great players, a lot of smart players. Um, and it requires being it requires being extremely skilled too. But I look at this Knicks team, and that's. That's what I'm thinking about more than, oh, they just need a wing or, oh, they need spacing. Um, they need someone that, like, RJ showed flashes of that, but I don't know if like, if you put RJ in Randall's roles to your original point, I don't know that he can soak that up yet. Maybe, like, he showed promise enough in this postseason thing he might get there, like, maybe like next year. Mm-hmm. Um, quickly maybe could get there at, at some point, but they're going to need someone like that. Or maybe Randall takes another leap and like something clicks for him the same way you know it's, it's definitely not beyond the pale um but that's what i've been thinking about more is can the knicks ha- make sure that every like they have another guy who can have the ball in his hands for long parts of the game and make decisions but as far as jalen brunson to your point um i think that they're they're in a unique position that he's locked up on a pretty affordable contract where they can add the kind of talent around him that that um, sewages some of the the difficulty with being a six one guard, particularly on defense, but also they're good offensive players. Like he doesn't constrain your cap to the to the point that other smaller guards have. And um, and and then the other takeaway is that yeah, like as long as we get, it doesn't even have to be someone who's like a, a out and out star, right? If you get someone who's comfortable with the ball in their hands, it could be a guy like Drew, I don't think Drew Holiday is available. It could be another guy like that. I think that's that's really what that Miami series at least told me we missed. And it's fascinating to look back on some of these. Like at Atlanta, I think it was pretty clear the Knicks, you know, they didn't have anyone besides Julius Randle to do anything. Good decisions, bad decisions, didn't have anyone to have the ball in their hands. Um, and it was clear that they there was a star power lacking there. That wasn't my takeaway from the Heat series. I legitimately think we had the best player on the floor. And um, you know, if someone wants to say, well, Jimmy is more of a two-way player, fine. But uh, but you know the last time they lost they lost to to put it generously Trey Young is an offensive first player um, that was then it was all about the Knicks need a star so what Jalen Brunson tells me is the Knicks have a star they have a star on an affordable contract 
Um, they have what you need. A guy who can get you a shot at any point, a good shot, and he can score efficiently, get his teammates involved enough. I think he needs to do better at that. Uh, I think there's still room for him to grow. I think I'd like to see him ratchet up the three-point shooting volume even more. Uh, but they've answered that in my eyes. And I think because he's on a good contract, I don't necessarily think they're precluded from building around him. But you know, whoever you build around, you're going to need multiple guys who can have the ball in their hands a lot and make really good decisions in tough situations. And that's, that's the hard part. But, um, but, you know, as we wrap up, I'll say that um, Leon Rose, I think did deliver a star and I know what your point was. So I'm sorry. I didn't mean to like, kind of, um, I, I get what you're saying that, right? Like he was brought in to bring in a marquee guy because it was cachet, which he hasn't done. So I agree with you there. Um, but, but the fact is he has brought in a star independent of, you know, that yeah. discussion. Yeah. And um, and they've almost gone to some money well tactics, winning in the draft, you know, crafting an offensive approach that mitigates the lack of spacing to to, to build what was you know in the regular season elite offense. Um, I think he's done great, and I've actually grown pretty tired of the speculation on Twitter because like I'm like, whatever he does, like I think they've they've earned the benefit of the doubt right now. It's weird to say that about a Knicks front office. That's right. <laughs> it's like weird. I mean, it's like saying. Um, there is a Republican administration that's earned my trust and I, I trust what they're going to do, but right. I do. Um, they've earned the right. benefit of the doubt. And, um, and I think they're, they're going to, the Knicks won't be a championship contender maybe next year, but they'll get incrementally better in some way. So. Your description of, you know, Brunson standing apart in, in, in part because of his contract sounded to me like, you know, when you're building an NFL team, if you have a quarterback on a below market deal, like so, in the span of an episode, I'm gonna go from. I just want the Knicks to be <coughs> solid for three or four years. To they really should trade then for like whoever they can get big time because you want to maximize your 26 year old. Wait, and with with the new media rights deal, which is coming yeah. probably in like two years, and the new CBA, right? So. Sport, yeah, sports gambling revenues, like the way everything is growing. Like Brunson is going to go from a fair contract to like you better maybe move sooner than later because you have to assume either because he's going to ask for it or because it's just going to be good business. I I can't think of the last time that uh, the Knicks or maybe I can't remember the last time a team ripped up a current deal. Maybe you can't rip it up anymore. Maybe you just have to extend it, but like Brunson's about to be so comically underpaid that like I was seeing what Grimes is, is going to be paid the next couple of seasons. And it's like criminal. And Grimes is making like four and a half million or something like in a couple of years from now. And I think they still have a team option on him. Like Brunson is more underpaid than that. Maybe this is the time to be like, you know what? Money is not an object. If it'll get you. I mean, I don't think this person is, we keep talking about this. I have no sense right now of what star player would even be available to have this conversation about. I think the MB stuff is very forced. I don't think he has, you know, any interest in leaving Philadelphia yet. Well, Harden's um, probably going to leave, and I don't know what his attachment to Doc was, but you know, he's basically buying into Tyrese Maxey filling that role, right? So that's where I think a lot of the chatter comes from. It sounds like he likes Doc a lot, but like, especially if Harden is, even if Harden said, but especially if Harden is, is gone, like they're going to consult and be like, because he's going to have, you know, some say over who they hire next, um, anyway. But it's, it's not. And who knows how the, the year plays out, but like I can't think of a single oh that star might be like that person's worth I didn't think Donovan Mitchell was worth 
what they were asking yeah. for a year ago. I don't know if that market, I don't know if this is hope or if this is reality at all, but I feel like the Gobert trade warped the market. Like it was such a ridiculous trade that then there's, there's been expectations since then of like, well, you have to get this much for Kevin Durant because he's better than Rudy Gobert and you have to get that much for this person. I think that maybe hopefully settles down, but whether it does or doesn't, the next time someone above Donovan Mitchell level is available, who's that person going to be? I have zero sense right now. I mean, yeah, I mean, people will talk no. about Jalen Brown. Um, DeAndre Ayton's name has been floated a lot. I'm not personally a huge fan of that, um, especially like in our offense right now. No, they're not on that level. I'm not um, saying like Zach Levine and shit. I'm saying like even even Zach Levine was a wonderful, wonderful offensive player. Like wonderful but he's not a well he also doesn't give you any i think i do think that the person they acquired does need to be a good defender absolutely yes absolutely uh, that is part of the jalen brun that's part and parcel with jalen brunson i think he's good enough on offense and like i said in a good enough contract to make it worth it um but it does need to be someone who's a good defender but i also think the threshold is lowered like i don't think that like if we got joel Embiid, i would love it I don't think the Knicks need to get Joel Embiid. I don't, or sorry, I don't think they need to get a player that good. It helps, um, but I think they have a good supporting cast. They can add good role players. Um, you know, if they I, add Jalen Brown. Do you think that would be enough to make them a contender? You're depending on RJ quickly or Grimes to make a leap, but I don't think it's beyond the pill. I mean, look at look at the who scares you right now. I mean, like nobody. That's what was most frustrating about losing to the Heat. I watched that Celtics Milwaukee game, or sorry, Celtics uh, Sixers. Sixers game the day before. I'm scared of either team. Um, you know, I, the Heat or the Heat, whatever. Um, LeBron is aging. I don't. I don't think he's their best player anymore. Their best player is not reliable from injury standpoint. Kudos to him, by the way. When he's healthy, he's. He should win Defensive Player of the Year every year if he's if he stayed healthy on eighty two games. Mm-hmm. Um, Denver is going to be there for a while. They have a great player, but that is not some kind of juggernaut, not yet. Um, yeah, if they added Jalen Brown, um, you know, and you turn Grimes into your six man, or um, you know, yeah, if they added Jalen Brown, you now if they have to trade Randall, maybe Jalen Brown plays the four. Even then, I, I like that a lot. Um, so. You know, and this is not a debate about whether Jalen Brown or Randall is better. I, I, I think that regular season, I'd probably take Randall. Um, Jalen Brown spaces the floor a little bit better. I do think he's a little bit better on defense. I think that, like, I don't think this team was very far. That's the thing. That's what's mm-hmm. very frustrating, at least this season. Now, will teams get better and all that? Sure. And Cleveland's going to get better for one. Like, I think Mobley's just, it's a matter of time. But um, I don't think they're that far. Bonus question. If the Knicks fired Tom Thibodeau tomorrow, the head coach out there that you would want to replace him is blank. I don't have an full disclosure. I don't have an answer. Like <laughs> this is part of why I don't want. I don't need to fire Tom Thibodeau at all. Um, I don't. It's not. It's not a case of like, well, that home run is out there. Go get him. Like I don't see it. I think Thibodeau, you know, deserves to be there at least another year. But I also think, even if you want to go Corleone and just be cutthroat, there's no one out there worth getting. 
I, I don't think Mike Budenholzer has shown any greater capacity than Tom Thibodeau. I don't think Nick Nurse has. Um, I have a name who is under contract for two years, but they are in extension talks right now, and this could be just a ploy by his agent to excuse me, a play a ploy by his agent to get more money. But the Ty Liu situation in LA is not settled. Yeah. Um, I would replace Tom Thibodeau. If we, if Ty Liu was available, I would take him. Um, I think all of the guys you'd mentioned come with flaws. Um, I'm personally a huge fan of Jerry Stackhouse. I get not wanting to hire a guy whose only head coaching experience was in the mm-hmm. G League at Vanderbilt. But I do think that guy is going to be a good NBA coach one day. Mm-hmm. So if they had to move on from Tibbs, it would probably Johnny Bryant. I know that a lot of fans are saying, well, he's unproven. How do you know he doesn't end up just being Fisdale or something? Um, I think there's been a lot of reports that show how important this team he is to this team. Uh, he's a big part of the culture in Utah, or not the culture in Utah, but winning in Utah. Um, and I do worry about losing him to another team. Um, but the same with Randall. I'm not in a rush necessarily to move on from either of those guys um though i think that for me it's like well one day are we gonna have to the same way that the raptors did move on from Dwayne crazy right the same way that the raptors did move on from demar Derozan. it didn't have to happen immediately and it wasn't the cleanest break in either case but eventually it needed to happen mm-hmm. um i i don't um i don't think it needs to happen now but i do worry in the meantime do you lose johnny bryant that would be less than ideal but if Ty Lue was available, I would do it. Yeah, I can see that. Ty Lue is legit. But, and, and I'll also add to this to kind of, I do think, yeah, we went from, I think a lot of, like, it wasn't, the Knicks were not favored against the Cavs. And it was against the player that the, the Knicks were supposed to trade for. And got clowned all offseason and all season by even many of their own fans for not trading for. And they beat them in five games. And that was their first playoff series. And it, it's interesting. Like how even for me, I'm speaking for myself, like we couldn't just enjoy that. And all of a sudden it's like, but now we we have all of these issues. We lost the heat. And like I said, the goal is to get incrementally better every season. Mm-hmm. That 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 is not what I'm saying that we don't want to get better, but it's also like like that was a fantastic outcome. Um it's annoying that they lost the heat, one because they're the heat, and two because they're an eight seed, um, <laughs> where it felt like the Knicks really had a chance, but like they they rubbed everything that people said, and now now people will be like, "Well, that's not a referendum on the trade. They should listen to me. The trade, blah blah blah." Well, well, before the series, a lot of you were saying, "Oh, that's a if they lose this series, that means they were wrong to not trade for Donovan Mitchell. Everything that this that this season was was null and void." So we won that. They won that series. Um, they won it by playing fantastic basketball, and and Tibbs and Julius Randall both deserve a lot of credit for that. Um, and, um, and I think as time sets in, fans will be able to appreciate that. Um, and I think you'll start to see a lot of the dialogue around this team, um, improve. That's all for today's episode, but we'll be back again in a few days to continue this discussion of the New York Knicks and the off season. Next time I want to ask Stacy about how we define success going forward. If, if, can the Knicks have a good 2024 if they don't get to at least Game 7 of the conference semifinals? Find out in our next episode.
Well, the Evenix podcast is presented by Bet Online, and it is also, as always, presented by Stacy and me. That's all for the uh, rewind and try that again. That's all for now. Everybody, take care. We will see you next time. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.